Ecclesiastes. I'll be going to the 11th chapter. And uh, I'll read the first six verses to you. And uh, after that, I read those. I want to break the first four verses down. What God has touched my heart to deal with tonight. Ecclesiastes, we know uh, as from our previous sermons and lessons that we've looked at out of the book of Ecclesiastes, the stage of Solomon's life when he was recording these. And he goes back and forth from a humanistic view to a spiritual view of what's happening because he had started out on his journey with wisdom from God, seeking God, but he turned away from God, brought wives and concubines into his household and even outside of Jerusalem to the place that God's hand of blessing was no longer on him. So it it, it is a controversial book in the fact that he is somewhat arguing with himself. Uh, Part of it comes from the humanistic side of his desires in the flesh and the other part comes from the knowledge that God had given to him when he asked the Lord for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. So when you read these passages of scripture, you'll find that there is a positive and a negative. The good news is I'm on the positive side tonight because when you get to chapter 11 and chapter 12, you'll find chapter 11 and verse nine, he's focusing to the youth. Chapter 12, he's telling the youth to remember the create thy creator in the days of thy youth, giving the conclusion of the whole matter. So what he's saying is, is that I've run through this, this whole different, these different avenues of life and I found out what works and what doesn't. And what works is what God wants. And what didn't work is what I wanted that I tried to justify to make it look like that's what God wanted. And if you're not careful, you can try to justify your wrong. We all have to be aware of that. We don't want to justify the wrong that we've done. We want God to touch our heart by his spirit and reveal things that are not right to us so that we can be better and be more effective for the Lord. So he's speaking now to youth and he's trying to tell them, if I was a young man starting over again, then here's four lessons that I would write down that I would follow these four things and I would learn these lessons as a young person because it will stay with you and help you all of your life. Is there anybody here looking across your life? If you could relive your life, you'd do some things differently. That's the perspective that he's looking at. Part of it, he's saying, these are the things that I thought were right, but I found out I was doing that in the flesh because I had let down on God and therefore I was thinking carnally and doing things that God wasn't pleased with, but I found a way to try to make it look spiritual, to try to justify it. But in the end, he said, I'm down now to the end of my life and here's what I'm looking at and here's the things that if I was a young man starting over again, he said, these things are lessons that I would learn right away. So tonight, if God helps me, I just want to deal with four lessons that we need to learn and the sooner we learn these lessons, the better off we are. What are they? Number one, beginning with the first verse, cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. 
And if the tree fall toward the south toward, or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. You remember the last sermon that I dealt with out of Ecclesiastes is with that phrase, this or that, and at that time I brought out the statement to you, this is better than that, where he reflected back in his life and said, the choices I've made for the Lord are so much better than the choices that I made without the Lord. Well, that's logical. I think we'll all agree with that. Even people that don't know the Lord will agree. There's some things that if you could go back and do again, you'd say, boy, it's a lot better if you do this instead of that. And that's what he's dealing with here. And he said, now, I've told you some of the wrong things that I've done. Now, let me tell you some things that I did that was right. He said, number one, you need to learn the lesson of investing and investing wisely. You say, where do you get that? Now, don't, don't write me off on the first verse. I know how this is interpreted and it's not that you need to, need to say you've interpreted it wrong. I'm not insinuating that in the least. I'm just saying that sometimes one passage of scripture can mean more than one thing. And I think when he says in verse one, cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days. I think what he's talking about is the investments that he made. Do you realize that Solomon was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived? You say, well, he got his wealth through David. Well, a lot of people get wealth, but if you don't know how to invest your wealth, you can lose it quicker than you make it. In fact, one generation can spend in 10 years or five years or two years what it took the previous three generations to build up that's passed on. It's a lot easier to spend it than to know what to do with it. I hear people all the time say, oh, if I only could hit the lottery. Well, first of all, it's a sin to play the lottery. Some of you saying amen right now. There's other things that's lottery too. I mean, if you're gambling, you're gambling. Someone said, why? People's in the stock market. You own something in the stock market. You own a piece of a company. But when you're just taking a risk, that's a totally different thing. And if you think that being in the stock market, you don't own anything and you're just taking a risk to gamble, you ought not be in the stock market. You don't know enough about it to be in it. Stay out of it. I'm preaching right now. I'm trying to help you. But he, he's at a place where he's trying to tell them, you can't just take risk in life. People say all the time, if I win the lottery, I'll do this. You wouldn't know how to handle it if you got it. You just run through with it because you have to have some principles in life. And if you don't invest in your life, you say, well, where do you get that that's investing? Don't give up on me. You know me. I'm not gonna tell you one thing and not have a passage of scripture to justify. Let's go back to 1 Kings. Let's go back to 1 Kings. Remember what he said, cast thy bread upon the water and after many days you shall find it. Well, you know, if that's just a metaphor, 
what, what would that mean? Number one, if he's talking about literal bread, if it came back in many days, it'd be soggy. And second of all, if it was many days, it'd be moldy and hard. You wouldn't want it anyway is what I'm trying to say. He's using this as an illustration. So there's something in Solomon's life where he sent out something on the water and it came back after many days. First Kings chapter 10, verse 22. I don't know that I've ever heard this, this reference to in a sermon, not that it hasn't been. There's nothing new under the sun and you've read it. But I don't know that I've ever heard it focused on in a message. This tells us how Solomon used his wealth in investing. Look in verse 22 of First Kings chapter 10. For the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. <laughs> now be honest, I've preached all of my life. I've never heard anyone talk about the apes of Solomon. And I've heard the peacocks mentioned before because peacocks were a, were a sign of wealth. Uh, there is a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of historical evidence that Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his famous gatherings and his banquets, that they had little wagons that were attached to peacocks that would walk up and down the table and pull delicacies that were, they were trained, pull delicacies, and they'd get their food off of that because it was a sign of great wealth. But here he is saying, once every three years, these ships would go out and once every three years, they'd come back. And whether you think it's valuable or not, he said they would come back with more than what I sent them out with. He was investing his money for them to go out, but they came back with gold and silver and all of these precious items to him. He said, my return was greater than what went out. If you put something out there, you're expecting it to come back with more than what you put out there. Even Christ taught that in his parable in Matthew 25 when he talked about those that were given the, the talents. One given five, one given two, and one given one. The one, when the Goodman of the house came back, the, the Lord came back, the one that had five had gained five. The one that had two had gained two. But the one that had one, he said, I know that thou art hard, master. And he said, I took my talent and I buried it. I hid it, brother. And he said, I knew that you'd be pleased that I preserved it. In other words, I didn't invest it in anything. It didn't grow to anything. Let me say this. You need to get out of that mentality while you're young, live for today because you might still be alive tomorrow. And if you're alive tomorrow, there won't be anything there. If you don't send something out today, nothing will come back. You're welcome. If I could tell young people to do anything, I'd tell them to tithe, and I'd tell them to invest. I don't care what you invest in, get wisdom. There's people that got a lot more wisdom than I on investing, but fine, I don't know if it's land or, or what you're gonna invest in, or maybe it's something financial, but you need to make investments in your life. Don't shout me down. It gets better as we go, so take a deep breath. So lesson number one, he's telling them about investing. Invest wisely. 
Some people say, well, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not saying that you worry about tomorrow, but you still need to prepare for tomorrow. And I know that takes in a lot of different avenues of life, but you need to learn quickly that you can't spend everything today and expect to have something tomorrow. Moving right along, cause I can tell you're just blessed to no end with that. People look at others and they say, oh, they do so well. It's because years ago they invested. If you don't put anything in, you're not getting anything out. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on, verse two. He says, give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Well, what does he teach us here? Verse one, he teaches us about investing. Verse two, he teaches us about giving. He talks later about how if you send it out, you know not whether it prospers or not, but when it prospers, when it's full, when it's full, the clouds empty themselves. In other words, you don't just get for your pleasure. As God blesses you, you bless others. So he's talking about our giving. If you ever want to fully understand God in a personal way, you will find out that God's mathematics never fails. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, out of the bosom of men, it shall be given to you. A lot of things in life I've done wrong. A lot of mistakes I've made in life. A lot of mistakes I've made, pastoring and preaching. But one mistake I have never made is that I have always put God first in my giving. If someone looked at my giving, they'd say you've got great wealth. No. I've got a great desire to give to the Lord. It doesn't matter, I, I don't know, maybe I'm different. I mean, if, do you believe that God will bless your tithe? 10%? Well, why wouldn't he bless 20% even more? I mean, when you're full and God begins to prosper, here you're investing and God's prospering that because you're giving too. So he's saying, give that portion. Well, how do you know that that's giving? He's saying, you're not only giving to the Lord, but he said also, you're giving to help others for the benefit of others. Where do you find that out? Well, I'm glad you asked, Nehemiah. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter eight. You'll find the same thing about the portion. Remember now, he's talking about the portion of seven and eight. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. Nehemiah chapter eight and verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we love to quote the end of that verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But where does that joy of the Lord come from? by giving and sending that portion for whom nothing is prepared. Those people that are struggling. Now, I know there's some people that their poverty, you cannot get them out. You cannot, some people, you can't pay them enough money. You can't give them enough money because they don't use money wisely. There's some people they are determined they're gonna abuse everything. And that's why every time, everything that I give on behalf of our benevolence committee, which is our deacons in this church, when I hand it to anyone, I always tell them the same thing. I say, no booze, 
no drugs. And this is God's money. And if you spend it on a habit, I feel sorry for you come judgment day. Because we're not in the habit, we're in the habit of providing for needs of people and helping people whom nothing is prepared. But yet when you give, the more that you give, the more you find out, the more full you get, and the more full you get, the more you empty yourself out to others, and the more you empty yourself out to others, the more that it spreads. There's a reason why God last year allowed evangelistic outreach to work in 130 different countries. There's a reason why I got a note today that said, preacher, thank you so much. You just supported two great crusades overseas that saw dozens and dozens of people saved every service. You know why? The more you pour out, the more God pours in. And I want to tell you, we can hand it by the handful to God, but God gives it back by the shovelful. I don't understand it all. I don't give to give, but when you give, you do get. I have never understood a philosophy in a church that they feel like that because finances is there, they've done something wrong. Our church has prospered. You know everyone thinks we're rich. They think everybody in here is a multimillionaire. It's what they think. What they don't understand, we are rich in the joy of the Lord because of our strength. And we know that when we offer what God has given us to help somebody else with their need, another ministry, another person, another family, another individual, every time we do that, God says, I see that. I keep record of that. I bless you for that. And the more he blesses us, the sweeter it gets. And the sweeter it gets. And it's not that you're giving to get, but at the end of it, you'll find out you've always got more than you started out with if you put God first. It's a lesson in giving. But then he gives a lesson in dying in verse three. Get the image in your mind. He says, I go out. This is what he's saying. I watch them as they cut down the big trees. And he said, they would cut the trees down and it would fall to the north or if it would fall to the south, whichever way it fell, that's where it would lie. And you say, that doesn't sound like wisdom to me. He's not talking about trees. He gave them a lesson in investing, a lesson in giving, Now he's given them a lesson in dying. He's saying, once you die, however it is when you die, that's how you stay. That's the lesson. You know, I grew up, we had fireplaces and uh, and boy, you lose about 80% or 70% of your heat up the chimney, but you, you did what you had to do to survive, to stay warm. So we'd work all summer long cutting firewood to stay warm in the winter. And it was a constant job. You never got over it. I mean, we didn't have inserts and all of that yet. Later, we got an insert. Boy, I wanted to do a hallelujah dance when we got one, but we had to do that. We had to cut the wood. And when we cut the wood, so we fell a lot of trees. And you know, sometimes you'd be trying to fall trees and you try to fall 
call them in a certain direction. And, and you know, I know there's people that's a lot better at this than what I am. I've seen, I've seen some people with chainsaws, man, they could, they could notch the tree and they could cut it the right place and it seemed like it'd fall where they wanted to all the time. But I have also driven by houses where professionals that have done it for years, they would cut that, have the chains on it, wedge it the right way, notch it the right way, but at the last moment, a wind come along, twists the tree and it winds up down on the house and ruins the roof. The best of them, that happens. But the truth is, it's not so much the falling of the tree. He's saying when that tree is cut from its life source, it is now dead. And he said, if that tree falls to the north, it stands north. If it falls to the south, it stands south. Let's get this right. There is no way to change things after you die. You're not going to get a second chance. You're not going to come back as another being or another person. There is no such thing as reincarnation. There are no levels with God that you go to a place where God gives you another chance. People tell me all the time, oh, I'm coming back and I'm gonna live my life different. What makes you think you'd live different if you were coming back? You won't live right now. Why would you live right then? Because you won't learn now. You won't learn then. But let's get this right. You're not coming back. You're not coming back in another life form. You're not coming back. Somebody told me one time, do you know this is my 19th time on this earth? And I said, do you know you're delusional? You've only been on this earth one time. And when this earth is done with you and God says your life is over, if you're not saved, then you can't go to heaven. You can't work your way in. Somebody can't pray you in. Somebody can't pay you in. You're lost. And when that happens, you're lost for all eternity. He gives them a lesson in dying. And then finally, verse four, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. He gives them a lesson in living. First in investing, then then giving, then dying and living. He has another image in his mind, just like he saw them falling those trees. Now he sees a farmer in the field and he's got plenty of seed, but he looks up and he realizes it's cloudy. Hey, I can't do anything on the farm today. It doesn't say it's raining. It just says it's cloudy. And he looks and he says, it's windy. It wouldn't do any good to sow today too much wind. Are you catching what I'm saying? He said, don't let your life pass and miss the opportunities because if you live your life by the happenings around you, you'll never do anything by faith for God. The devil will make sure every day's cloudy. He'll make sure every day's windy. He'll make sure it's too hot. He'll make sure it's too cold. He'll make sure that there's something wrong. There'll always be an excuse and there'll always be a reason. And he's saying, don't rob yourself of God-given opportunities because things look a certain way. 
God gives you that opportunity. You need to seize that opportunity while God gives that to you. Opportunities pass by on rare occasions in your life and you'll find out if you don't seize those opportunities, what will happen, you'll look back across your life and say, why didn't I do this and why didn't I do that? Don't live your life that way. If you're gonna do something for God, do it now. He said, don't, don't check the wind to see which way the wind's blowing. He said, do it now. Don't wait until it looks like there's clouds in the skies. Bring in the harvest now. Don't wait till next year to call someone, contact someone, to send a card, to let them know that you care. Do it now. They're on your heart right now. Act while they're on your heart. There's a reason why. Uh, What I'm about to tell you, I'm gonna close in one minute. What I'm about to tell you, I hope that you don't, look at me in a different light because I'm not trying to lift me up in any way. I'm just making a statement of fact. Candy knows years ago in my ministry, I, I, changed, I changed my attitude toward ministry for what I feel like is the good. And she knows well if we sit down to a dinner, I don't care if it's Christmas dinner, and the Lord says, go to so-and-so's house right now. I'll tell her, honey, I'll be back in a little bit. Not one time is she, she might say, well, where are you going just to make sure I'm safe? I'll tell her where I'm going. Not one time has she scolded me, looked down on me. She said, you better go. There've been times that I have visited the hospital, left the hospital, turned right around 30 minutes later and went right back into a room where somebody's at. But in 30 minutes, they went from being stable until I was standing right there when they drew their last breath. I have lost count of the number of times that I have walked through the door, the moment, not every time, I don't wanna mislead you, but the moment that somebody had just died that instant or just a few minutes before. You say, well, why doesn't God do that all the time? I think sometimes that he does that because he knows the faith of the family is strong and they'll be all right. Other times I think he does that because there's unsaved family members present and he wants a voice in the room to say, I'm not punishing you by taking your loved one home to be with me. I don't know why, but don't miss my point. The times that God has nudged me and I didn't go, I justify it some way and say I'll go later on. Those were lost opportunities that I'll never get back again. Every time I stand in this pulpit, I will never preach to this exact crowd again in this exact setting again. At the exact time in everybody's life as what it is right now, I'll never have this opportunity again. Every time I stand, it's an opportunity. If I don't seize that opportunity to preach what God has to say, it could hurt someone or they could not have help that they're gonna need this week. Opportunities come and opportunities go. But hear this as I close. Get ready to get a song if you would, Brian. Hell is full 
of people tonight that were waiting for a better opportunity. And it never came. Tonight could be your last night. It could be your last time for God to deal with your heart and for you to say yes to the Lord. You ought to seize that opportunity.